There it is. Good morning, Mitch. Good morning, Steve. How are you? I'm uh, sleepy. Yes, I'm, I'm also I'm sleepy. Morningish. It's Monday morningish. I need to do the thing to my brain that board games does to my brain. It turns my brain on. It makes me more awake. When I'm feeling tired, if I play a board game, I feel more awake. That's probably why I'm so tired now is from the frescoing we had last night. Yeah, that was... My brain worked too hard. And which is similarly... Well, not similarly, but is also why I didn't fall asleep till almost 2 a.m. You were just went through everything again? Well, I was, yeah, I was wide awake. I was thinking about painting frescoes. Mm. I was... I had some, uh, I don't want to say bad bad decisions, but I, I had some mismanagement issues last night. I felt really good about my game of Fresco, uh, and really my, well, my mistake was sloppy uh, in that I took the tiles and then uh, I dumped them back in the bag and I, I really needed the other tiles and I couldn't remember. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, but it felt a little lucky. Um, everything else, I feel, I feel pretty good about that, that game. How did you like the new edition of the... What is it? The papal favors. Okay, um, the bishops favors. Bishops favors. Yeah. The bishops favors. Uh, I think were awesome. Every edition so far has added quality to the game. I think. Yeah. The portraits. We're talking about fresco. Yeah. <laughs> the, the portraits uh, added um, so, some quick little uh, ongoing bonuses and some uh, lightning instant uh, effects. Just a way to get more things. I, those those are what the only thing that kept me in the game. I think last night because I'd made some management errors. I my whole uh, overarching strategy was wrong. Mm. I was trying to sneak in and do stuff with the the least amount of preparation. Right. And uh, and that slowly snowballed against me. Where I didn't have any paints, right? And I was never getting any paints. I was never accumulating anything. I was hoping to just burn through, and and by the end, it was like a an anchor around my neck. Going first in that so game. The, so the portraits, yeah. The new the was what the second or third edition. Uh, those things kept me alive because going first, I could get a bonus mm. that just kept me a little like I like some hope. Yeah, yeah. Going first in that game is, is crucial. Yeah, but, but, it, but it, it, it's, a, it's a really good balance because stay, if you're able to stay up late, pay less for things, and still get what you want is a huge, a huge bonus. But if you get to go first and uh, get the paints you want, paint the fresco you want, get the portrait you want, th- those that's a huge but, turn. But that's what I was doing. And by the end of it, my happiness, my, my workers were so pissed off at me yeah, you were. that the last like three rounds, I couldn't get out of. You couldn't get them you to work for you. You can no longer, in the last few rounds, you can't sacrifice something else to bring your happiness back up. Yeah. Because you need to get as many of those last points as you can. Yeah. So like I was stuck with four workers for the last like three rounds. Well, uh, opposite <laughs> to that, I felt really good about the first half of the game where I always had the bonus worker because I was so happy. Yeah, yeah. And I Sleeping was like, and, does that. and I, for a while I was like, oh. I think I I think this is the key to the game is getting that extra action and and keeping that bonus worker in play. Eventually, I stopped doing it, and Melissa did it almost every turn, and then she ended up winning. And I thought maybe there's something to uh, trying to get that extra worker every game, trying to get that little assistant helper intern temp uh, doing your work for you in the market. It helps. I think the the first time we played, you had him all the time. Yeah. And you might have won that game. Maybe. Anyways. Or maybe for, 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 oh, uh, I pretend it was me. For a um, uh, medieval Euro game that has you painting frescoes uh, during the Renaissance, uh, that game tells tells a pretty cool story, I think. Tell me more. Yeah, I'm segueing. Um yeah, Fresco, uh, you know, in a lot of Euro games, uh, sometimes I think struggle with this storytelling. All of them try it, but I, I really like Fresco to some of the mechanics uh, of deciding when you're going to wake up or where you're going to sleep in. I remember uh, one of the second or third time that we played that game, I had so much fun role playing my guy. That might have been the first time. It might have been the first time. I think time. the first time, right out of the box, uh, was a riot. I think Where I was kind of like, oh, I'm always sleeping in. I'm a. I'm a. I'm a wasted, uh, you know, kind of. It's it's funny because we play it uh, nowadays, where there's been a, a stereotype since like the '60s or '70s, uh, where artists are poor and, right. and hippies and and whatnot, and that that's 
that's the joke that we play with. Which doesn't. Even though it, we're playing in like, I don't know if that's the Renaissance. Where, no, where or it's the like, Michelangelo's painting, one of the most famous works of yeah, art. Yeah, like <laughs> Leonardo, <laughs> you know, they're being brought in by kings and the Pope yeah. to do, yeah. So it's, I, I it's, treat, it's ironic. I, I treat my guy like he's uh, I don't know if that's right. He's a character on like Girls or Entourage or something. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't want to get up. Well, I'm not going to go to work today. You know, I was going to be a banker, but uh, I need the money, so I'll do some wall painting. Yeah, exactly. And when I get my bonus guy, I'm like, you go to the market. You do the painting. I'm going to stay in bed. Yeah, hey, Leonardo, I got <laughs> I got your painting done, but I just want to say it's a, it's a porch, not a Ferrari. <laughs> And then uh, I think we always a kids joke. <laughs> we all, <laughs> we always have fun with the bishop. Also, you know that that mechanic in the game of the bishop who is wandering around in this building that you're painting this fresco, yeah, yeah. and pops into the room after you've done painting to check on your work and gives you more points if he's seen you paint. I'm not even gonna, you know, we have fun with uh, the bishop watching you paint uh, without you kind of knowing. He, he he adds pressure. He's he does like, add pressure. I'm like I was gonna put. You know, this there, but then he was staring, so like, ah, I better do it right. Paint a scary fish. Um, so I, yeah. know you, I know you're segueing, but I have one okay. <laughs> one thing that, that I was thinking about last night is, like, we have this big box of fresco. Yeah. And, like, at what point do we stop? Uh, we can't add everything in. We're going to have to, we have to take some things out. We can't, every time you add something in, it's going to make the game longer and longer. And you can't add in everything in that box without taking some of the other stuff back. Yeah, probably out. not. I don't know enough about uh, what, have to what, look that up. what people think are the, are the best expansions. But so far, I feel like those two additions, if we had remembered all the rules and didn't have to kind of refresh ourselves, would have sped the game up because you're ultimately just getting more things and making yeah. life a little easier. Yeah. And it, it doesn't, it, it just replaces one of your actions. Yeah. You can yeah. do that, this or that. But Fresco was uh, one of the examples I have uh, in my notes here because okay. today we are talking about storytelling in board games, or at least that's the plan. We may just talk about Fresco. Um, but yeah, storytelling in board games. And uh, this is something that's near and dear to my board gaming heart. It's my favorite. I think it's my favorite thing about board gaming. Um, so we wanted to speak to that a little bit um, about what it is, how board games do it, uh, the, how they tell stories, and what types of stories maybe they tell, something like that. Yeah. I, I did no homework. This so is my this jam. Is, this is Steve's baby, and I will, this I is will my help Steve. PB and watch Jam. His baby. Well, let's off the kick. Uh, I will tell you that Board Game Geek defines storytelling board games uh, as games where you, this is going to sound uh, crazy. Crazy. Where you Tell create stories? your own story. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. So that's one definition. And as you can imagine, uh, games where you create your own story are uh, games like, which is kind of, well, it's a game. Rory's Story Cubes. Right. Rory's Story Cubes. Almost sounds like the rural juror. Rory's Story Cubes. Um, and Rory's Story Cubes are these uh, nine dice that you chuck. They all have symbols on them. And it's a kind of a good little... Um, brainstorming exercise just for kind of coming I up with narrative. A, I like I playing it with kids. Set. Yeah, we have the, you guys gave us a Batman set too. I recently found the other one. And we play it with the kids, uh, just roll it, and, and we go back and forth drafting a dice and, and kind of telling a story. They have some fun with that. There's no real win condition or anything like that. It's just telling a story. Um, Rory's Story Cube is also used in that game Untold, which is a bit more of a game. Um Untold is oh, that, yeah, yeah, right. that game where you're creating a television show, yeah. and I think it's broken into three acts, and there's some card uh, play involved and some powers that you can use, almost um, some decisions that have to be made throughout your story. So they've made a bit more of a game out of that uh, idea of Rory's Story Cubes. So yeah, some games where you create your own story, like that. Right. Uh, and other games where I mean, you... Go ahead. Oh, I was recently looking at uh, that Cthulhu Vault uh, game that, oh, yeah, that yeah. was on sale, and that that's another one where it's it's like Rory's Story Cubes, I guess, except you're not rolling any cubes. But right. a, as you play that one, you're just playing cards and and telling stories. I don't know. Ne- never mind. I'm too tired. Cthulhu's I, uh, Vault. Cthulhu's Vault. I shouldn't have brought it up 
It's okay. We were talking I about it the other day. Enough. I just it was on my head. Uh, we'll play it and then we'll talk about it later. Cool. Um, but other kind of games that tell stories are, are uh, ones where you're not necessarily creating your own story, um, but there's lots of storytelling involved. And I'm, I'm thinking more of like explicit storytelling that happens in games like um, uh, Above and Below. Right. Where you know you're going on adventures and and you're reading chunks of text that tales are telling you stories. Arabian yeah, Arabian uh, Tales of Arabian Nights is, I think, I've read somewhere that the, that that game was a influence on Ryan Lockett's kind of storytelling games like Above and Below, Near and Far. Makes sense. Yeah, where you're getting this explicit text of like, here's exactly what you're doing, um, as you you know go below ground and adventure. Um. Games like you guys are playing that uh, choose your own adventure. Yeah, the, which game. is it's sort of a different way to do it, where they actually took a story, they took a whole book and just made it a playable game. Yeah, that's uh, that's a pretty fun one. Choose your own adventure. Me and uh, my wife are playing Legacy of Dragonholt, which is all that's all written for you. It's, it's books and books of texts, yeah. lots of characters. That story is. Uh, just narrative is prose. You're just reading it. Uh, and then other games have uh, more or less um, explicit text. Gloomhaven has a scenario booklet that sets up each um, dungeon that you're going to go into. Um, Scythe, for example, has not very much, actually. We'll, I'll come back to Scythe because that's more of a, I feel like, a, a different mode of storytelling. Um but yeah, so we got games where you're creating stories, games where you are having stories kind of told uh, to you. Um, but what interests me about storytelling in games, and I play a lot of these games. I play Gloomhaven, I play the Legacy of Dragonhold, like we're talking about, um, Above and Below, Near and Far, all these ones with, with actual stories going on. What interests me most about storytelling in games is not necessarily the story that's being told, um, but the story that that you end up creating on your own that has nothing to do with the game. Um, kind of like we were just, we spent the first five or ten minutes talking about Fresco. There is nothing in the rule book that is kind of setting up what kind of story is being told, who these characters yeah, yeah. are, who you are. But we tend to breathe some life into the characters and into uh, what's happening uh, regardless. I, I find it, <clears throat> with a game like that, it, it happens very naturally because of the way it's set up. It's sort of like uh, Dungeon Pets where you're sort of going through a day and like you're doing tasks specifically mm-hmm. and then it just uh, it's just like those guys are, your little workers are actually going through their stuff. So it, it just happens. Well, that's where kind a game of... Like, uh, I'll just pick any game at random. Oceanos, a card drafting game. We rarely tell a story while we're playing that game we really right. like we play that with macy and stuff and we're really like oh let's you know we just do the mechanics and it's a, a fun time but yeah there are a lot of games where we play the mechanics and it's super fun but then other games i mean maybe it's the people we play with sometimes too but like sure champions of midgard always ends up being an adventure in my head where other games are are just fun mechanics well, that was where I wanted to go with this, um, kind of, is, sure, games obviously are out to tell stories, they create worlds, they create characters, they want you to be invested in the story, but oftentimes, like you said, we can get invested in a kind of, what I think most people would consider like maybe a bland uh, setting, like Fresco, and create a story about it. And so my question was going to be, how do board games tell stories? And they... They do it in a bunch of ways, and you just mentioned one that I think is really important and doesn't necessarily happen all the time, which is this kind of mechanic uh, and and theme integration, like in Fresco or Dungeon Pets, where a story is happening because the mechanics make so much sense and breathe so much life into that game, like in Fresco again, and not that I want to spend the whole time talking about Fresco, but this fact that you're can choose to sleep in, choose when you wake up, instantly breathes life into the character that you're playing. Just like in Dungeon Pets, um, deciding who's going to the market and who's staying home. It's almost like, oh, a couple people are staying home to take care of the pets, 
clean up loose ends. Others are going to the market. If someone gets injured, you have to go to the hospital to get them back later. You have to clean poop out of cages. There's just so much happening with the, you know, the simple mechanic of worker placement that is telling stories. And yeah, like you said, a lot of games don't do that. And I'm sure there are people who play any game um, just looking at the mechanics and mathing mathing things out. But uh, when you're looking for a story, the theme mechanic integration is a good way to go about it, I think. Right. Uh, and And then you have like a game like Wasteland Express does the same thing where you're doing stuff, right? You're actually, you're that guy, you're driving around to pick up and deliver. Uh, it tells a story as you go, very specifically. There's flavor text. You start at each round with a new, this is what's happening today. And and you, and there's, uh, the, the campaign has whole, you know, story yeah, set yeah. up uh, if you want to go through the campaign. Uh, but it's still, the story we're telling has not necessarily anything to do with that because it's just whatever's happening for us yeah. at the time. But, the difference uh, between that and like Fresco, where they both have mechanics that lead that feeling on, uh, the difference is then the flavor text where yeah. stuff happens specifically in the game with a story where yeah. Fresco doesn't have flavor text. It doesn't have events. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but both sort of mechanically can do the same thing and then Wasteland just ups the immersion by adding flavor text and adding stories. Well, flavor text is the other thing I should have mentioned when games are explicitly trying to tell stories. Um, whether games have pages of text or not, flavor text is often trying to fill in those gaps of here's the world you're in, here's what people sound like, here, here's what's happening. Flavor text is, is real key. Wasteland Express is actually a really cool example that does something with components and mechanics that uh, pulls me in immediately. Probably my, my, the thing that creates the most immersion in that game for me is the player mat at the dashboard. Yeah, yeah. Um, for anyone who hasn't played Wasteland Express, you have your your truckers, your delivery service, Wasteland, Wasteland Express delivery service drivers uh, in, in a kind of wasteland. We've talked about it before in episodes. Um, but you have this kind of player mat that looks like the dashboard of your vehicle and, and, and you move your... Um, your piece kind of action selection throughout your dashboard but there's something about that f- first person view of like you're sitting in your truck yeah. um, that that does something for me maybe it's like a video game thing too where you, if you play games where you know it's you just see the display. hand in, in front of you yeah, yeah. Uh, and you have a heads up display and you have the overhead map it, it is kind of a bit of a video game approach but having that first person view of like this is my truck and I'm sitting behind the wheel um pulls me in right away it reminds me of i'm really interested in this newer game that just finished kickstarting i think it's getting back to people now a vindication yeah yeah which is kind of euro style but it has a lot of uh, theme and story kind of layered on it and that player mat is just two hands in front of you <laughs> um but it's very much euro moving cubes around resource kind of management um but you have two hands in front of you where you're i think you're taking um, oh, I'm not going to get the words right because I wasn't expecting to use this example. But um, almost like in your left hand is potential, and through different actions you're converting it to actual like energy yeah. or mana that you can actually do more powerful moves with. But there's this this cool again first person thing of you creating magic in your hands, which I think is really just like neat. real life, just like real life. Yeah. So yeah, there's the, the the theme integration that we were talking about, but then something like the dashboards and the player mats in front of you are like components uh, also do a lot to immerse you and tell some stories. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite storytelling games right now is Call to Adventure, which is uh, yeah. almost purely storytelling with, with mechanics uh, in between to sort of make the, I mean, it makes the game, but it, it, they almost hinder your story because you you're like uh as you're selecting your cards you can fail on on what your goals are on what you're tempting yeah so your the mechanics uh where some games the mechanics help you achieve your goals this one like you're you want to get that 
but you have to succeed or you're not or you're not getting that right right so it's uh and it's super fun it plays so smoothly and but yeah. it's kind of cool in call to adventure even when you fail oh yeah no it's it's like oh i'm gonna attempt to go underground and fight this goblin army or whatever and there's you, never a goblin there's no goblin uh, uh, demon think? army maybe i did it last game something about like pushing back the demon yeah, army yeah. um even if you fail, though, you're still casting runestone, so it's kind of like you're trying to get oh, your trying. magic together, and like, ah, I didn't do it. I didn't drive them back. I didn't drive them back. Uh, and then that, that goes away, and you'll never try that again. And which makes sense, too, because you, you shouldn't uh, be able to, well, let's just go back to the start, charge up our magic packs, and go back in and do it. Uh, it's kind of cool that it does disappear in that game, I think. Yeah, I love I love the game. In my head, the only things uh, I'm thinking are like, not not knocks against it, but like, ah, oh, this is sort of a weird stumbling thing. But I, I don't want to sound like I'm I'm knocking the game at all. Uh, for the storytelling side of it, there's a weird thing where when you're playing with other players, uh, the only interaction is to sort of like the the bad cards mm. will. You know, I, I can put fear on you, so you can't do your choice, and you right, have to right. do something else. But, but we're not in the same story, right? You know, so it's, it, to me, it's weird from the storytelling aspect that I can interfere with your story from I don't know where I am in the world, right? <laughs> and just uh, yeah, that's a I, good point. But it's sort of just disconnected. Like I'm, you know, I that's just the way I think about it because we're playing together. But you getting fear, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean it came from my story. It's yeah. just like. I did that as a player, sort of metally. Yeah. Metally is a word, right? Metally. Metally. Uh, I, as a player, put that fear on you, not I, as the character in my story, mm. put that fear on you. It's like the... Uh, might be too far from a microphone. It's like the gods playing dice in, uh, yeah. in uh, Discworld or something. Like We're the players that can kind of influence each other without our characters having to have done it. Yeah. So um, uh, I'm, I'm playing against your yeah, yeah. thing, but... I'm also playing this other story. That works. Call to Adventure is a great example of, uh, because I'm trying to think when, you know, you and I started really digging into games. Um, one of the, one of the, uh, an early example for me of, of interesting storytelling was a, a ta card tableau builder, like Call to Adventure. I think I would call that a tableau kind of laying down cards that are telling a story, giving you points. Um, is Race for the Galaxy as well. Right, right. Where I think 12 cards is the game end in that. There's, Something like that. There's a couple different game end conditions, but I think getting either 12 cards out in front of you or getting rid of all the victory points that are available uh, to grab in the middle of the table. Um, but, you know, you get a card in Race for the Galaxy to your starting world that kind of influences your decision-making. You might uh, have like a military home world that is pushing you to do more conquering, be a little more combative, or you might have more of an exploratory world that, that wants you to go exploring, getting getting different resources. And by the time you get 10 or 12 cards out on your table, and this is after you've you know learned the game because it's a bit of a steep learning curve uh, and the mechanics can get in the way of the storytelling until you're comfortable, I think, sometimes. But once you are comfortable, uh, you can start seeing the story that's taking place over that game as you visit different worlds, take over some, harvest resources from others, uh, colonize other planets uh, as you're, you know, exploring the galaxy. And for me, I I really still like tableau builders for that story element. Terraforming Mars does something similar. The type of corporation you are, the type of things that you're laying down in front of you are, are the things you've done over time that paint this kind of picture and narrative. That's that's a good yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, I, th I think Terraforming Mars... Definitely fits for a storytelling. The corporations I've found for me definitely changed the way I, you know, the way I play from game to game. It mm -hmm. will always, you know, I my my favorite has been the uh, the cinematics corporation. All right, ones. I, I like whenever I get that one because then I I play just recklessly. I don't think I've ever played as those guys. No, I don't know if I've ever won with those guys, but as soon as I get them and i've had them a few times i just i smash every asteroid and moon into the planet yeah you basically uh get rewarded for making explosions or and yeah. stuff uh making things exciting yeah um 
yeah, so this, um, yeah, again, exploring different ways that, 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 that games tell stories, you know, components, mechanics, uh, this kind of card tableau, um, another mechanic that, uh, does it, uh, for me, obviously is deck building. We've spoken at length about games like Thunderstone. You guys played Dominion recently. I don't know if it, if it translates over so well yeah, to that game, but that, I think that's one that, that I rarely find I'm, I'm worried about a story in, yeah. in Dominion. I feel that that one's less, much less. It's, it, I mean, it's cause it's a race for yeah. one and it seems like with race for the galaxy, I feel like I have time to think about stuff with Dominion. It's all I'm, I'm my brain is just mathing. Yeah. Uh, optimal, there's no there's no time decisions. for storytelling in my head with yeah. Dominion because I'm watching people go, "Oh, you you took that card? Oh, you're oh my god, he's he's already there. I'm I'm screwed." Yeah. Yeah. I I really like the idea and it doesn't always work with deck building, you know. Um Thunderstone, for example, as clank. the clank as the game progresses, this is your adventuring party getting better at doing what they're doing. They're meeting NPCs that are joining your deck of cards, joining your party, buying new weapons, fighting different monsters, all these things that end up in your deck and up telling a story of the adventure that you're having or the type of accomplishments that you've, you're achieving. Um, I've read a lot and I'm really interested in living card games, but I'm afraid to get into them because of how much content is released uh, for games like uh, Lord of the Rings, the living card game and uh, Arkham Horror. Arkham Horror. But I've read a bunch of reviews because I'm very interested. Apparently it's a great solo game. And apparently Arkham Horror, the card game, does a really good job of um, character creation through deck building. And it's not really deck building in those games, more like deck construction, right? Because you, you get this pile of cards to work with, you can add to them, but you're uh, constructing a deck before you go into a particular scenario. Yeah. But in doing so, you know, you have this character and you're giving them these spells and this weapon and maybe uh, some sort of conditions and uh, things that make them who they are. I don't know where the line is anymore. I've read a lot of uh, board game books where magic the gathering gets lumped in with deck building now and i i have never thought that that could could be considered a deck builder because you you know you don't play the game to build your deck you build your deck and then play the game so but i've seen it several times in several different books whenever they're talking about this is what a deck builder is and then they mention magic the gathering and i just so i don't know they seem like two different things to me they do to me too and 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 especially for the history of dominion where uh, he took the idea of building a deck for yeah. magic and, and turned it into a game, right. you know? And that's, to me, that's where the line should be drawn, but I don't know what the common, I don't know, I don't know what the consensus worldwide is right. for that. So hmm. I feel like, uh, if you're building the deck before you play the game and, and part of the game is not building the deck, yeah. then it's not a deck builder. No. And with regards to... Hopefully that, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but... I won't tell you, because I agree with you. Um, and to me, it feels like two different things. And deck building, t- uh, I think, can tell a, a better story, because um, things are happening to you. I know it still, still happens with deck construction. You walk into a magic match, and you've got a deck pre-built, and that deck is, you know, your army and your your group and your... What are, I don't know magic at all. Landscapes? What are those things called? Land. Someone's going to kill me. Yeah. Um, I better keep... Okay. Stick to what you know. I wish we would have gotten to... Uh, I have Allegiance on the shelf, which I right, picked right. up recently. And I wish we'd gotten to that before this uh, talk, because that seems like it is full of storytelling. It has an entire book of lore. Yeah, it does. Uh, just pages and pages for each character. And then... Those are pre-constructed the, decks. Well, for the for the decks, each if you choose a hero, uh, you get a particular set of cards right. that go into it, and then you're deck building from a general pool. Oh, right, uh, yeah, yeah, of yeah. Cards, but each each person gets their own set of cards that you know. Some get more than others depending on what type of uh, yeah, hero yeah. they are and what they're doing, and then and then so and I like that idea that. Uh, for the storytelling part of it, you don't 
you're not feeding off of the same stuff for everything. You actually have your own specific right you know traits and stuff going on. So right, uh, that seems really interesting. A great storytelling one has always been uh, what's the what's the dungeon crawl where it has the plastic board. I want to say descent, but I always say descent, and it's not descent. What's the one you have? Oh, claustrophobia. Oh, claustrophobia. That's yeah. that's fun. The two player game. Two player game uh that has basically good against evil. Yeah, yeah. Dungeon crawling. And that's another one like Fresco and and Dungeon Pets where just just from the way it works, you're I mean, you can't help but feel claustrophobic and it, and feel uh oh man horrible yeah it's <laughs> it's a really interesting game. that's a, i guess that's a different conversation that's not so much the storytelling as it is the emotions but interestingly enough i feel like that that um that game does a really good job of giving you a minimal background of a story that that sets the game up really well yeah. where you're this redeemer priest dude who's charged with going because this gate is open from hell or whatever. Uh, it's a role-playing universe, I think. Hell Dorado or something like that. Okay, yep. Um, and you're charged with going into the depths. And you 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 form a party of like people who are on death row or like thieves. and So you take this kind of scum down to the depths with you. So you're already, it's kind of dirty. You're, you're leading this band of uh, people that aren't great. And then the other player is in charge of this demons and uh troglodytes who just keep popping up out of everywhere uh yeah anyways it just feels tight and constricted and and it doesn't matter which side you play it feels no claustrophobic it feels impossible too that you you can't win yeah either either side it's really Um, interesting so yeah i wanted i had this in talking about all these ways that board games tell stories, so you know we've mentioned things like the compo- components a little bit, um, mechanic and theme integration, and different mechanics like card tableaus, deck building, of course, art and graphic design. We haven't really spoke to it, but art pictures tell a lot of story. Um, I hear a thousand words each. Yeah, I've, I've heard that too, um, and you know games like. Um, I really think Scythe does a really good job of world building without having to tell too much of a story. Um, just, I think, Jamie Stegmaier. I don't know the story of how that came to be, of whether he approached uh, Jacob Rosalski or whatever the guy's name is and said, hey, I want to use your art for a board game. I got this idea. Um, yeah, that's that's probably one of the best examples in board games for the pictures. That just tell so much story. And the story is just there. And I mean, he ran with it because even the the bits of storytelling that are in that game, the encounters where you get to flip a card, mm-hmm. there's no text. And like it says in the rule book, you're meant to look at those pictures and decide what's going on in that picture, which is obviously what Jamie did when he saw Jacob's art. Is like, oh man, there's so much going on in these pictures. What a great world. Um, and I think there's like three or four lines of narrative at the beginning of the rule book saying, you know, whatever, it's 1920s, alternate worlds, where basically Europe has mechs. Um, and that's it. But yet it feels like, mm-hmm. a, yeah, it feels like a cool fantasy world with a lot of, of things happening. Um, but what I wanted to say was that interestingly, all of these different things that that should do a good job of telling stories um, don't always do that. And not that it's necessary for every board game to be a success, that it has to tell this kind of narrative and story. Obviously, there's going to be lots of abstract games that fall into a category where it's like, well, there's not much story happening here, and it doesn't necessarily need to happen. I think of something like recently that checks all of these boxes that we're mentioning, a game like Wingspan, Mm. where it's like, oh, it has this beautiful evocative art. It has really cool components. It's got that birdhouse that you chuck the dice in. The card art's great. You're building a tableau. But there's not really a story there. I don't feel the need to tell a story in that one. And I love birds and and birding a a bit. and uh, But I don't feel like I'm out walking around bird watching or tending to a, a a bird sanctuary or anything like that. It feels like a mechanical game where I'm I'm kind of optimizing moves. Yeah, and part of that is always going to be who who you are and who's who's playing. Like, there's a good chance that like playing with Jen and Carell, 
That's who true. Are, who are bird uh, that's people. Their, that's their that's their jobs in life, yeah. You know, because they can associate with that so much more, that might become a story for them, you know? It might just be a day at work for them or, right. you know, it's hard, to, it's hard to say. Same with, like, the difference between Splendor and Gizmos, where Splendor has right. very little, uh, I mean, fantastic mechanics, super fun game, but very little story where Gizmos has a bit of a setup. Yeah. Where you're going to, like, a science fair. Uh, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on, and you could bu- you could easily build a bit of a story out yeah. of that. Feel, They're feel very similar like games, I'm... but you know neither of them have a ton of stuff, and and you yeah. can easily skip it. Yeah. Same same with like fantasy realms. Like fantasy realms has massive potential for telling a story. Yeah, yeah. But is completely unnecessary. You know to 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 play it. Uh, so either way, and it's just going to depend on who you are, yeah, and whether you're even interested in that. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, it's true. But I, I, I found it interesting, I guess, to think that, uh, you know, if you were a game designer and your one of your ultimate goals was to create this kind of immersion and storytelling, then going through these criteria would be a really smart thing to do, like to make sure that the art is on point and building this world, and that there's uh, components that make you feel immersed, like the dashboard in, in Wasteland or um, the mechanic of like waking up, choosing what time to wake up kind of immerses you in the story. Checking those boxes to create a story would would be an important thing. But sometimes, even when all those boxes seem checked, uh, but it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. But you're right, it is. It's not objective. It's it's like mostly everything. It's It's subjective and depends on who you are and who you're playing with and stuff. Um, but interestingly, you know, we're, we're recording this in, uh, the end of August and all the, the, all the buzz and hype train in the board game world. Well, a lot of what I'm following is this tapestry game that Stonemeyer games has right. coming out, yeah, yeah. which I do feel great. like is attempting to check all those boxes as well, which, you know, has, uh, I don't, I, the thing I'm not getting for tapestry is how are they going to tell that much story in such a short time? Like it starts from like the birth of man into like the future yeah. in like eight rounds or something. Well, I think it's kind of and and again, this is why I think I'm really gonna like it. I've it's been, like a I'm synopsis. waiting waiting for some reviews. Uh, telling. I think you gotta you're gonna end up filling in a lot of the gaps in the way that we do in a game like Fresco or um, you know playing near and I always use the character that I, I created Lobot in yeah, yeah. Near and Fire where it's like, all right, there's a narrative here. It's 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 okay. It's pretty good. We're on this quest for the the Red King. I'm not even really sure, so maybe it's not that good because I'm not sure exactly what happened in that yeah, eleven but, games. But because we stopped paying as close attention because we got into our own story, right? In that game, like it's not that that game is full of rich. It is. Oh, this is text pages and pages and, of text, and there's yeah. so much going on. But our characters got into a bunch of nonsense, yeah. and that became the story for that's, that whole campaign. That's true. So, like, we we stopped chasing after the Red King, and we were just fighting amongst ourselves kind of, and like yeah. trying to derail a mayoral campaign right uh so i mean it had nothing to do with which i think which means we could replay that game uh <laughs> right. and and it would be all new we'd be yeah. like wow what's what's this story about right but i think my my point is that we often you know run off in our own directions with storytelling whether it's there or not and i think what's going to happen in this game in tapestry is yeah you you've played these again that has some tableau building that are that's obviously there to tell a story to tell your show your tapestry of your civilization that you know the on your player mat it starts with fire like you've created fire or whatever um and then you get to lay two or three more tapestry cards i can't remember but you can go from creating fire and then the first tapestry card that you lay could be uh I think I was watching Rado Space play travel. it. Yeah, it can be something like you're a technocracy, like you're you're a tech society. So you can go from fire to wearing lab coats in that tapestry card, and because it's going to happen so quickly, you're just going to end up yeah. filling in the blanks and having some fun and some. I don't think it's uh, meant to be, you know, taken too seriously. Like, how is this possible? And I, I know people are going to rip it a rip it a new one when it comes out for that reason, probably, which is too bad. Um, I I just meant uh, the 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 gaps are going to be so they huge are sometimes to, to yeah. tell a story is going to be uh, interesting. Yeah, 
because it's going to be from fire to space travel maybe in in around and at the same time that you're laying these tapestry cards down you can also be laying these technology cards down yeah so like i think rado in his first few turns or whatever ended up uh planning to be this technocracy right after having created fire or soon after but at the same time had the in you can place technology cards i think where they are first ideas and then they become a reality and they give you benefits and things like that so he had the idea for dynamite right away so it's almost like oh we created fire i wonder how can i can explode things uh with this technology and then added you know uh orienteering like a compass or something like that to it so it's I don't know it's kind of interesting and then on top of that obviously you're building buildings and exploring a map laying tiles like terraforming mars mars style i think it's it's doing a lot and then has the uh andrew bosley art the everdell yeah, yeah. uh artist and the new um oh god what's the love letter uh art um there's going to be a lot of immersion for me i think in that game i'm going to wait and see uh whether what i'm going to do about that game but um but a lot of what we're talking about to pivot a little bit because i do want to get your opinion on something that we mentioned last night um like you said a lot of what we're talking about depends on who you play with um what kind of type of games they like what type of gamers they are as i started looking into researching you know why do i like storytelling in games so much i i started going down this um, bit of a rabbit hole of taking these online quizzes, which are often dangerous things to do. Uh, You know, I picture something on social media popping up like, what Harry Potter character are you? Take this quiz. What color of kitten are you? Right. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Which 90210 cast member are you? Right. But this one came highly recommended because uh, a lot of of what I'm talking about, uh, the way we run off in our own directions with with storytelling, and I've mentioned this on previous podcast mm-hmm. episodes, is the soft incentives that the podcast Ludology dug into. I have it here. I think it's episode 185. I highly recommend it. It's one of my favorite podcast episodes talking about soft incentives that aren't necessarily always built into a game that uh, allow players to immerse themselves in a game or enjoy other parts of a game. And for me, the soft incentive of running away with weird characterization and storytelling that's not necessarily part of the design is a lot of fun for me. Um, and so that led me down to uh, a couple links that they were recommending, one of which was um, a quiz. I don't know which quiz you took, but one was from Quantic Foundry. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one that then graphed out yeah, the yeah. type of game. You're, okay, so there's another one. So this we'll start here because this is where I want to see yeah. how, what you thought about it. But I did this Quantic uh, Foundry, and you can go to, uh, it's like, I'll, we'll put a link in the show notes to this place, and it gives you kind of a board game profile. You answer quite a few questions, if I'm not yes, mistaken. It's, it's a lot. Took about 10 or 15 minutes, maybe even. But <laughs> it's it rang true for me. So after I finished answering it, um, it has me uh, most 99% interested in immersion uh, and 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 discovery 98% 99% immersion 98% aesthetics now I don't even sure what this means I'm just like it's speaking to the things I'm most interested in the aesthetic appeal of a game the immersion the discovery of a game are the top three things yeah and then followed closely by strategy that's why I don't win that often I feel like uh and way way low as social manipulation why I hate games like Avalon I don't hate games like Avalon but they're not they don't make they me feel comfortable uh, and conflict is not my necessarily my favorite thing either. Yeah. Um, so I had a bit of fun. This this kind of validated how I feel about the type of games I like. Um, did you do you ha- do you have your gamer profile? Do you remember where where, it's, where oh, no, it plotted I, you? I threw mine straight into the garbage. <laughs> um, this is this is an interesting thing too because it it speaks to uh, how different people's brains work. Right. And for me. And it's really it's fantastic that it worked so well for you and and solidified all these things where for me uh I end up uh writing complaints at the end whenever they have a here's right. a, here's the feedback section uh because of the way my brain works mm-hmm. right to me all of the questions were phrased incorrectly okay because everything asked how important is this to you right right so for me 
nothing is is that important because I will play games with anybody. Right. And whenever I go to play, it's because it's all phrased in a, if you're going to play a game, how important is this? Right. And like, so for me, if I want to play a game with Melissa, then it's not important that it has this or that. Right. So whenever I get a question that says, how important is, you know, strategy to you? Right. I'm like, wow, that's like out of five, it's like a three. It doesn't, it doesn't (laughs) matter if it has strategy. I'll play it anyway. Right. So I went through the whole thing and there was very few things that, were more important than anything, and it would have to do with how the question was phrased, not right. not whether it's not asking me if I like that more than something else. Right. You know, if it, if it had been framed in a in a would you prefer this type of game or this type of game, then it would have been easier for my brain to say, well, I would prefer that. Right. But but it was just asking, you know, if you're going to play a game, how important is it that it has this? Well, it's not important at all because I'd love to play that other game too. Right. So by the end, I had this flat chart that that <laughs> skewed towards the few things that that I might have said yes or no to more than the others, and mm-hmm. you know I had no connection to that chart mm. that it gave me at the end, and the feedback that I got at the end, I was just like, well, that's none of that's true, right? Because that's not how I feel, and like, but because because of the way it was framed and because of the way my brain works, yeah, I answered honestly. Uh, to what I thought the questions were, yeah. and and so I ended up with with, uh, you know, the final answer for me was was really far off of how uh, I actually feel, feel mm. about any of it. So, yeah, I didn't so know. I failed, I guess. <laughs> but that's but that's that's the whole subjectiveness of well, everything we're talking about. They call it a board game's motivation profile. That's yeah. what I'm looking at it right now, and I I just. I answered questions quickly. I think my kids were like screaming at me from another room and I was hiding in the kitchen as I yeah, often I do. I overanalyze. Uh, and I was just kind of going with gut reactions about like, oh yeah, I like this most. I do, yeah. yeah, yeah. And which this, is probably this, this. the correct way to do that quiz. But it's interesting because as a as a board game's motivation, like what motivates you to play games, you know, it sounds like you just want to play as many games as you can with as many people as you can. And that changes, you know, your... Your, mo- your motivation a bit like for personal like getting more games to the table with people is more important to you than the experience you get like i don't know you know what i mean like it's kind of but but that's not necessarily true no maybe not you know i you know if if you put it back to would you rather play this or that right then i would i would rather play a game that's rich in this which is than- the way you can do that rank there's a ranking it's a whole other yeah. thing um but that's interesting that that's that's what happened there because again yeah i was looking and then for, it was long enough that i wasn't going to go back and, and do, it, do again. it again yeah fair enough it was long enough i went back and double checked just to make sure uh last night I, that i was the type of gamer that i think i am not that you know i can <laughs> this, this doesn't uh lock me into anything because interestingly enough uh what we, I, I mentioned this to you last night that you know, if I look at this chart and it's saying, oh, immersion, aesthetics, and um, discovery are, are really important to me in games. Well, it's part of what I love about board gaming in general and, and that me and you uh, do quite a bit of is like just trying to play a bunch of games. Like we've played hundreds at this point and um, the aesthetics and the discovery of just taking a new game out and reading the rule book and looking oh, yeah. at the components and learning how it how it plays and learning the mechanics is an immersive experience. It's like so aside from my favorite types of games like, you know, Gloomhaven or uh right now I'm playing Mice and Mystics, these ones that are trying to really immerse you in a story. I love that. That's like my favorite thing. But in a similar way, I I get that from just playing new games. After I play it, I might be like, Yeah, that's not really for me. I don't really care if I play it again. But the actual experience of trying it out, I get the same thing out of that. Yeah, you know what I mean. So there's I lo- something. I love to- playing new games all the time because I I just want to see what's possible. Yeah, yeah. All the time. Uh, I don't know. It's the same. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't know. And I I, I love. You know, I have favorites, and I I'll play the same game twenty times in a row as well. Like, oh, you yeah. want to play that again? Sure, I'll play that again. But I love the experience of a new game just to see what someone's done. And it's yeah. it's, it's it's sort of my failing with video games where uh, a 
big world game like like a Zelda game, I will I will use the cheat book just right. to cruise through the game. Like I don't care if I succeed at the game. You I just, just want to see what it has. See to what offer. it has. See what they've done. And I don't I don't care if I get the puzzle wrong. I want I'll you know as soon as I can't get past a puzzle, I I'll look it up online. I'll I'll find how right, to get right. through it just so I can see what else is out there. Yeah. Because my favorite thing is just seeing what they've done and what what's around. Not so much the the success I feel for having defeated or solved it or mm-hmm. so uh and interesting. That, and that's with with games where they're they're much they're a smaller thing than than an open world video game and yeah. you know, but I I love that discovery of just oh I've, I've I've never seen this game before let's let's open that up and, yeah, yeah. and see what they've done with the you know 20 pieces of wood and uh, yeah yeah and uh, me and, and me too I think that's really important can't be understated for it even though we're talking about storytelling but that's not it, necessarily the most important thing for me if that question was asked yeah, to you I, yeah so <laughs> so there was another one that I sent you maybe you didn't get to it uh which is a bit different and a little more silly and uh, maybe it would work better for you but I think I just didn't uh, you know I did that one and I was then like, I, what's I Steve felt like I, I can't do another one right now <laughs> <laughs> anyways it's kind of silly I just was having fun that that one day but it, it, again as a uh as a um as a check and balance I did another one to yeah. see whether it would kind of put me in a, a similar boat I did one uh, from cardboard republic uh .com which tries to lump you into a gamer archetype right um and they have archetypes like uh the immersionist and um which is I'm using that one because that's the one I have brought up because once I answer the questions it lumped me into the immersionist did you, did you pick one for me since I didn't do the I didn't I should have answered it like I uh, like you there's tactician socializer mm-hmm. daredevil Daredevil. architect and striker and I can't really speak to there it's all right here in front of me I don't striker. want to read I know mm-hmm. right um but this one was a little more silly and interesting kind of put you in other uh, scenarios about the type not that important anyways my whole point in doing it was that it it validated for me that yeah I love immersion and storytelling in games and that's why I wanted to talk about it uh talk about it some more um as a quick segue, I don't know how we're doing for time. How are we doing for time? Uh, we got like six minutes. Six minutes? Eight Holy minutes. moly. Um, who said that? I don't, I don't know. I don't know how we're doing for time because we can do whatever we want. <laughs> and our our 10 listeners may or may not care. That, that's true. If they do, uh, let us know in the... Uh, just, call, are, just text me or something. We are up to at least a single listener... Uh, at least once in like 20 different countries now. That's sweet. That's a mind boggling future thing. Sweet, sweet. I don't know if any of them liked what they heard or <laughs> shut it off after five minutes. Uh, but for, for just getting up in the morning and yeah, yeah. doing this. Well, I did want to um, try a good time. briefly mention one other thing. Cause, uh, you know, that I was just mentioning type of gamer archetypes. Um, but, uh, I follow this, um, person on Instagram uh, called Grumpy Old Player. Uh, he's yeah, he's got great content. He does. He puts up uh, good I li- stuff. I like his style of uh, review. Not a lot of people have have done that, where he puts up the the picture, yeah, uh, and has a little clip of each each section, and he does a great job. Yeah, little almost like a little quick pros and cons yeah. list. Uh, yeah, and he also posts really interesting uh, kind of questions, like getting to know people that I can't help but respond to. Obviously the insta quizzer in me uh, wants to answer his questions uh, when he posts them yeah. to stories. Um, but he posted the other day uh, the seven story archetypes and in board games. Uh, and basically, you know, I th- I want to say it's kind of like um, almost like a Joseph Campbell or uh, I'm not sure. I better right. not get into it. No, no. that's I, I think you're there. I think it's right. It's kind of like a hero's journey or different yeah. types of storytelling. Um that there are seven basic plot lines throughout all storytelling, movies, television, yeah. literature, uh, and that it applies to board games as well. But it like lumps like comedy. As yeah. A, as a... Which I, I like. We And this came up um, in our discussion about theme, how mm-hmm. genre might be a bit more apt. Oh, yeah. I, theme. I was just talking as it's, it's, those, those seven archetypes are very broad. Oh, so. they're so broad. Yeah. yeah. But he has things like defeat the monster. Yeah. Um, 
the pandemic, and he mentions things like uh, pandemic series or defeating the disease, forbidden skies, which I've never played, but defeating the monster to me brings to mind like um, Mansions of Madness, like Cthulhu, Elder Sign kind of games where you're defeating monsters, and there's lots of, of course, defeating monster games, um, and things like Rags to Riches, which is a, a lot of the American Rogues to Riches, Rogues to Riches, local local shout out. I guess. I think so, right? We haven't played it yet. No, we haven't. But I keep hearing mixed uh, things about whether... What? Did the I, person create that's it? A, that's a storytelling game. No, it is, yeah. But so it it's fits right in. That's uh, I call them bulletproof underwear games where right. it's like when you're a kid <laughs> and, and you're like, time. you know, I shot you. Oh, I got bulletproof underwear on. You can't shoot me. So right. that's the whole mechanic of the game is explaining ridiculousness I hear and our, countering ridiculousness. I so. hear our kids play it all the time where it's like, uh, oh, Invincible Suit or in, yeah, in, yeah. Infinity. You're stepping in the lava. I have my lava pro shoes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What I meant about um, mixed mixed stories on it is whether the person who created it is from here or from elsewhere in the Maritimes. Well, he's so I think it's from pretty the local. Maritimes. That's but lived that's here or something like that. Someone said he lived here. Someone said he lived in Truro. Some he's whenever he did the Kickstarter, I think he was in Halifax. I don't right. know. Right, Rogues to Riches. I yeah. wish I knew his name. It'd yeah. be nicer. Um, the 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 quest. We'll put a link. The quest archetype. You know, setting out to achieve a a big quest. That. That might be my favorite type of thing in a game of video game and stuff is is questing stuff. You know, like I like how important. But the kid, is the, kid <laughs> the kid in me, that's what I've always been looking for. Like yeah, yeah. Talisman and Zelda and like so that's of Euro the architect. That's the most important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, may, maybe me too. Like that. I'll, the games I gravitate towards are often campaign questing yeah. uh, things. Whenever a, a thing says, oh, we're going to add side quests, there's a little voice in my back of my head. Well, that'll be fun. Yeah, totally. You know, oh, if, oh, if, yeah. if they put a side quest expansion for Fresco, I'd be like, oh, that's amazing. Oh, cool. And you just go painting landscapes in the woods. Yeah. Um, yeah and I, we were talking about Clank um, Legacy the other day, too. And yeah, I think there's like side quests throughout. Yeah, that yeah. game as you're exploring the map too which sounds so exciting with text a book of text as well that's that. going to be a great storytelling legacy game we didn't even mention the type of storytelling that legacy games are able to provide uh, which to me the this whole other thing but um they get to do a unique thing of they're they're able to pull off cliffhangers and, and plot twists oh, wow. in board games that kind of s- single session games can't necessarily do yeah, yeah. you know what i mean which is <laughs> i said oh wow like oh i've never heard this <laughs> <I've>, before <laughs> Yeah, we've been talking for a while. Um, <laughs> he mentions other archetypes. I mean, we don't need to list examples for everyone, but like a voyage in return, uh, he uh, where you're going to strange lands and coming back. He's Explorers of the North Sea is a pretty good example. You know, going to raid and then coming back home mm-hmm. with your stuff. Uh, same with um, the other Vikings, Midgard. We do something similar. Yeah. Comedy, which is a really broad and weird type of uh, story archetype. Yeah, you got it though. Clank, man. Comedy. Clank is Vikings yeah, slapstick wild. Uh, comedy. Make, uh, slapstick making a racket. Dungeon pets, I think. Galaxy Trucker, all kind of like yeah. slap, um, silly, meant to go wrong in a lot of ways. Kind of funny games. I I think Cat Lady's got a lot of comedy in it. Yeah, yeah, totally. I see that uh, popping up a lot these these days. Yeah, I just saw there's a there's like a deluxe uh, version now with like a cat shaped tin and yeah, yeah it's cool i'm glad i'm um, glad it's getting its due it's a fun little game interestingly there's one here that is uh and a bit of storytelling where you're, you're keeping cats oh i dressing them up yeah and uh keeping them happy keeping Feeding them happy <laughs> but Tr- not always all of them that's yeah there's some there's some drama there's some sad cats angry cats yeah um Tragedy is also mentioned, which is a whole other topic that I'd like to talk about sometime. Uh, we don't necessarily play a lot of them, and I don't necessarily um, a desire to add them to my collection. But game, I'd, I would like to experience them though, like this War of Mine oh, or yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Underground, like the Rail uh, Freedom, the Underground yeah. Railroad, like games that are just Villi- telling a harrowing What's story. The, uh, there's a there's a pretty new one that someone did about uh, just immigration. I think it's called Villagers. Looks neat. Yeah. 
Um, but tragedies is, is a whole other thing. Hate he mentions as an example there, which just looks, you know, it's like has cannibalism oh, and it's that, scary. Yeah. That and one I, I'm I don't, not interested in trying at all. No, uh, me neither. Really, looks fantastic. Probably has some great depth going on, but just deals with subjects that I don't. I'm not yeah, interested in. wouldn't be super comfortable. But uh, same with Kingdom Death Monster. Like, looks spectacular, but it's just not. That's not for me. So no, bit weird, weird and, and dark. Don't necessarily need to explore that. But you know, someone is putting important on on their stuff to get. Yeah, you know, that uh, Eric Lang said in an interview about hate that he was like very intentionally going for a certain demographic that would yeah, want yeah. this in games and want a big miniature filled dudes on a board, totally. dark and grisly thing. I mean, um, there's so. a reason why horror movies have gone the way they have. And yeah. I mean, people want to play it. Um, he does mention Rebirth. I just wanted to mention the seven story archetypes, that uh, grumpy old player. Yeah, if you are on Instagram and you like board games, he's a he's a good account to check out. Um, we just picked up Oracles of Delphi oh, uh, yeah. recently, and that has several of these archetypes. Right, right? Yeah. You're killing monsters, you're going on quests, you're uh, big you're returning journeys. Returning and yeah. coming home. Uh, I can't wait to play that. It looks very nice. Haven't played many, much stuff on. Well, we played uh, Burgundy and La Isla. I think are the two that I've played. Um, but I'm that one. That theme excites me the most out of those. The Oracle of Delphi. Um, I'm sure there was other things I wanted to mention, and we we yeah, like we didn't even it, get into like Dixit and any of the big right? picture card yeah, games. Yeah. Or I mean, there's but those those are uh, games that are. Storytelling games, I guess, are the most obvious of storytelling games. So right, yeah, I was more a bit more interested in exploring how board games tell the other ways that they tell stories yeah. without. Yeah, um, if you're listening out there, go visit everydaymeeple.com. Find a way to contact us and and uh, tell us what you think. Tell us about find stories. A way. It's, it's 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 easy, easy. to find. It's right there. It's right there. You can you can figure it out. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> That's a g- there goes our 10 listeners <laughs> don't unsubscribe oh. 10 listeners <laughs>